0: The text for this afternoon's worship service is the Word of God as we summarize and confess it in Lord's Day 19 of the Heidelberg Catechism, question answer 52. And that is on page 534 in your Book of Praise. And here the church confesses what Scripture teaches about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ to judge the living and the dead. What comfort is it to you that Christ will come to judge the living and the dead? In all my sorrow and persecution, I lift up my head and eagerly await as judge from heaven the very same person who before has submitted himself to the judgment of God for my sake and has removed all the curse from me. He will cast all his and my enemies into everlasting condemnation, but he will take me and all his chosen ones to himself into heavenly joy and glory. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, when I was a little boy on Sunday mornings, my mom would put the the record player on and wake us up with music. And kids, back in those days, the internet as we know it didn't exist, so you could only hear what you had in the house, on the records. And so we would hear the same music quite often. And One of the pieces that you would put on was a, a soprano singing away the following words. Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready for the judgment day? A rather ominous way to wake up on a Sunday morning. Are you ready? Are you ready? for the judgment day. Are you ready to appear before the great judge? Paul writes to the Corinthians, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. And in Ecclesiastes 12, 14, we read, for God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. The Lord Jesus says in Matthew 12:36, I tell you on the day of judgment people will give account for every careless word they speak, for by your words you will be justified and by your words you will be condemned. We have a judge who can discern the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. And you know what you have done. And you know what you have said. And you know the secret thoughts and intentions of your heart. Are you ready to face judgment? Well, there are two possible answers to that question, yes or no. And the answer of the Christian is yes. In fact, I'm looking forward to it, eagerly awaiting it. That's what we confess in Lord's Day 19. I'm eagerly awaiting it. And that's why we set up the question the way we do in Lord's Day 19, Question Answer 52. What comfort is it to you? Not what terror does it strike in your soul, but what comfort is it to you that Christ will come to judge the living and the dead? Comfort is what the Church confesses about the fact that Jesus is coming as Judge. And we have to remember what the context was when the Catechism was written in the 16th century. It was written in the context of suffering for Christ. To follow Christ would cost you dearly in the 16th century. And so our our confession is written in the context of the suffering of the church Catholic. People would would lose their jobs. People would lose friends and, and family and status in the community. People would lose their lives for confessing the truths that we have here in the Catechism. Today, even though we, by God's grace, are spared many of these things right here in Edmonton, we are part of the body of Christ, and the body of Christ around the world is still suffering for the name of Christ, experiencing sorrow and persecution. Christians around the world right now are being imprisoned and tortured, and killed and sometimes massacred in China, in North Korea, in the Middle East, and parts of Africa. What about us here in North America? Do we have sorrow and persecution? In all my sorrow and persecution, what sorrow and persecution do we have here in one of the wealthiest and most comfortable parts of the planet? Well, not often blatant and open, physical persecution, but we do feel the increase of the oppressive power of the kingdom of darkness encroaching upon and taking hold of the institutions of our culture and society. We increasingly feel the need to watch our step, to, to watch our words at, at work or in public when we speak about marriage and family and sexuality, the, the hot-button topics of our time and we perceive a growing animus against the Christian faith, a more and more open hostility and even hatred for Christ and his church. A Christian hospice in British Columbia shut down for refusing to kill elderly patients. Medical students who can't pass unless, unless they agree that a biologically male body ought to be treated as a female if the patient simply claims it to be so. Our tax dollars used to fund the destruction of lives of unborn children. The federal government pushing through legislation to make it easier to kill not just the elderly, but the weak and the sick, the disabled and the vulnerable. And that same federal government pushing through legislation to criminalize biblical teaching about sexuality and gender. And here in Edmonton, as in many cities around the country where there are bylaws about conversion therapy, it's possible for the church and office bearers to be fined thousands of dollars per day and even to be imprisoned for up to a year for merely giving pastoral counsel which encourages people to be conformed to God's will with respect to sexuality, gender, and marriage. And so when it comes to persecution, if we describe it as a tsunami, we're at that point where the water has receded from the beach and the wave is rushing towards us. And so there is persecution in the Church Catholic, the body of Christ around the world. There's legitimate concern about impending persecution for us here, but there's also sorrow. How many of us have not been hurt, mistreated, suffered injustice, abused, and it hasn't always been dealt with, it hasn't been made right so many times. How many carry pain and scars, hurt because of the loss of loved ones? How many suffer the oppressive attacks of the demons of addiction? How many are bowed down under the weight of the enemy's attacks on our souls, our marriages, our families? How many stumble under the cross of chronic unrelenting pain in mind, soul, or body, as we taste the bitterness of life in a fallen, and a groaning world. And if we think about sorrows and persecutions, it doesn't take too long for us to conclude that no amount of money, vacations, worldly pleasures, mind-altering substances, Netflix, binge-watching, next-day Amazon deliveries, no amount of all of that can take away sorrow and persecution. We need to look elsewhere for comfort and for relief. So what do we confess? In all my sorrow and persecution, I lift up my head and eagerly await from heaven. I eagerly await Jesus Christ coming to judge the living and the dead. That's my comfort. That's my hope. That's what I hold on to. The Lord Jesus is coming and he is going to set everything right. Everything. Now that's a big, massive truth. It's a cosmic, universal truth which goes beyond our capacity to really process. We know it, but it's hard to fit into our minds and into our heads. So let me make it smaller. Let me Share with you an an example, an illustration. Let's let's say that Edmonton has been overrun by rebel warlords and society's fallen apart. There's no law, there's no order, there's just rapes and robberies and murders. It's unsafe to get food. The water, the electricity infrastructure is broken, and we're cold and we're hungry, we're afraid, we're in danger, and we fear. For us and for our children. And then we hear some good news. We hear that the government is sending in the army to restore order. And the criminals, the warlords terrorizing the city will be arrested. And they will be jailed. And services will be restored. And the supermarkets will have food again. Or when we hear that news, wouldn't we eagerly await the arrival of the authorities? We certainly would. If. We weren't one of the bad guys. And that's the problem, isn't it? Because in this world, I am one of the bad guys. I am by nature a sinner, a rebel. The destruction, the brokenness of the fallen world is on me. Why should I not fear the coming of the judge? And then the confession reminds us of what the scripture teaches us. The judge who is coming is the same person who before has submitted himself to the judgment of God for my sake. It is the Lord Jesus who is coming to judge the living and the dead. And that makes all the difference. Because he knows very well who you are and what is your standing before God. He knows because he himself has made full payment for all of your sins. He knows that you owe nothing. He knows what he has done for you. He knows what he has done to you. He has atoned for your sin and rebellion. He has covered you with his perfect innocence and righteousness in the sight of God. We sang from the Psalms, spoke about that cup of God's anger, God's wrath, that foaming cup. And sinners and rebels have to drink that cup down to the very last drop and it will bring them into eternal condemnation. Jesus came and took that cup for you and he drank it to the very last drop and there's none left. There's nothing left for you to drink. No judgment. No condemnation. It's all gone. Now, Will a righteous judge demand payment twice for the same offense? I don't know if you've ever had one of those painful photo radar tickets. They kind of hurt when you have to pay them, they throw that money away. And if you've paid one of those tickets, would a righteous judge send you another letter to say, come to the court and, and be condemned for that same offense and pay a second time? That wouldn't be righteous. It's not fair, it's not just. And so God will not demand payment a second time for what Jesus has paid for you. Brother, sister, there's nothing left for you to pay. You owe nothing. Your court record is clean. And when those books are opened on the last day and every thought and word and action is laid bare and brought into judgment, then, child of God, you can look forward to that moment. Because every sin of yours, all recorded, is blotted out and written over in the blood of Jesus, forgiven, forgiven, forgiven. There's nothing to fear. There's nothing to remember. He has taken our sins and removed us from our sin as far as the east is from the west. He has cast our sins into the very depth of the sea, and he remembers them no more. What is infinite comfort to you, believer, is terror to the unbeliever. Every act, word, and thought of those who abuse, who oppress, who are cruel, who defraud, rob, steal, betray, hate, pervert, mutilate, twist the truth, ruin marriages and families, wreck people's lives, destroy human life. And every other sin will be brought into judgment. And God is righteous, and sin must be paid for. And if you do not believe in Jesus Christ, then you must tremble at the thought of judgment because you stand before the throne of judgment condemned as a rebel, as an enemy of God. And what awaits you is eternal destruction under God's righteous wrath. And nothing can save you from that. Even if you're a member of the best church in the world, even if you've been a member of the Christian church all your life, that's not enough to save you. There's only one thing that can save you from God's righteous wrath, and that is to know the judge who is coming to know him as your lord and as your savior and as the one who has died in your place the only way to escape the judgment of god is to believe in the lord jesus christ and so today when you hear his voice do not harden your heart he calls out to you sunday after sunday from this pulpit he calls out to you through the ambassador of god God himself commands you in the gospel. Time after time he commands you, repent and believe and be reconciled to God. Today is the day. Don't wait, don't delay, because judgment is coming. Our believers, we know this, but knowing this is not enough. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead is not just something to know, It is part of the creed, and the creed is a summary of what we need not just to know, but to believe. We have to believe it. We have to have a sure and firm confidence that this is true. And we've got to live accordingly. Do we? Do we really believe this, or is this just something we know? Well, how often... Don't we see that what the heart is full of, the mouth speaks? And when it comes to judgment day, what is our heart full of? Have you ever said in a bad situation, well, it's not the end of the world? You ever said that? What do you mean by that? Doesn't it mean, well, it could be worse? Doesn't it mean this is a bad situation, but it could be the end of the world, which, of course, is a more terrible thing yet? Isn't that what it means? Does that fit with what we confess? We confess that the end of the world is not a bad thing. We confess that the end of the world is a great comfort, and it's something we eagerly look forward to. That's what we confess. But then we say it's not the end of the world something to think about. Do we know these things, or do we really believe them? If we believe them, they'll change the way we think, the way we speak, and the way we live. Brothers and sisters, Paul writes the Romans, Romans 8, 23. He writes that we groan inwardly as we await eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. The very creation itself is groaning. It can't wait for the day when we come into our inheritance and are publicly vindicated as children of the living God. And come into the kingdom. And we groan for that. We long for that. Because on that day, all his and my enemies will be cast into everlasting condemnation. All the bad guys that hurt and terrorize and destroy. They're rounded up and put in prison. So that they can't do that anymore. Anymore. And everyone and everything which stands against God and life and love and holiness will be wiped clean off the earth. And then will come that amazing moment when the sin and its results are gone. We can't imagine that because we've always lived in a broken and groaning world. But we read of what the the, the prophets speak as Isaiah speaks about that in chapter 11, verse 9. He says, they shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. No more hurt. No more abuse. No more injustice. No more hatred. Everything set right. No more sinners. No more sin. No more results of sin, no more temptation, no more sorrow, no more anxiety, no more persecution, no more pain and suffering or tears, and no more death. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. And then, when all the enemies are destroyed, what is left? What is left? He will take me. And all his chosen ones to himself into heavenly joy and glory. That's what awaits us on Judgment Day, brother and sister. Vindication. And then an infinite ocean of joy and glory without end. Maranatha. We can't wait, amen.